Okay, everyone. Thank you for joining. <coughs> We're going to continue of the shear we were learning last week on Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, introductory to to the learning of Torah this year is to value and to appreciate the enormity, the enormous gift of the Torah, which we find out in the last um, uh, in the last uh, chapters of the Torah, where Moshe says, "Torah Tzivalanu Moshe." Moshe commanded us the Torah. My Rasha, it is an inheritance to the congregation of Yaakov of Jacob. So we are now um, exploring this incredible gift. So last week we started with, um, I mean, if you if we if we if we listen to last week's class and then continue on this week's class. Which we're going to continue. We're going to finish the Maimer Bezrat Hashem, um, the discourse that we started last week. We, we didn't, uh, and then there is an explanation on the discourse. More than that, there is also a parenthesis, which I'm not going to learn today. So we might still spend another two weeks on this after on exploring this, because this is just so fundamental in our appreciation and understanding of everything we will ever learn about the Torah through the Torah in the Torah. So that we have an um, a, a an excitement, a true deep appreciation for what it really is. Okay. So last week we discussed the concept of. He began with the question: There is a marriage taking place over here. Um, the, the, by the way, the name of the class was Torah Tivolano. I didn't name it with a with a catchy title. I just named it as it is. The reading of the verse. I might change the title uh, to uh, be a little more enticing for those who need some more enticing other than Torah Tzivalano Moshe. So, um, but now for now, this is the, the class. I would highly recommend if you're listening to this class to listen to last week's class. But um, briefly, the, the, uh, the concept that we were learning was that the Torah is referred to as a bride. And uh, we were discussing who's the bride and who's the groom. That was the question. Sometimes it seems to say that Israel, the Jewish people, are the the bride, and we are married to God, and we are married to God through the Torah. In that sense, the Torah is the groom. The Torah would be the groom, and we would be the bride. And then there are various other verses that seem to imply that the Torah is engaged to us, like in this very verse itself. It says, Moshe." Moirasha, the word inheritance, the sages, Rasa, which implies the Torah is engaged to you, a betrothed to you. In other words, that you are the husband and the Torah is the wife. So that was the contradiction that he was going to resolve. Which one is it? How does it work? And so on and so forth. To appreciate this, to understand this, he brought us an a concept of where do you even have marriage in general in Torah? So he explains that in the, in the dynamics of Torah itself, there is the male aspect of Torah and the female aspect of the Torah, and the male and female aspect of Torah are married to each other. And th that is the, the two elements of Torah that we have, the written Torah and the oral Torah. Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat And Torah Shabbat is the husband, and Torah Shabbat is the wife. But however, they're not really married yet. They're only going to consummate their marriage 
as we're going to see in the days of Mashiach, when there's going to be a complete marriage between Torah Shabbat the written Torah, and Torah Shabbat and the oral Torah. At the time, at present time, they are merely betrothed. Now we're really going to see that the marriage really takes place today, today's days as well, uh, in a little way, to a certain degree, uh, the holidays, every Simchas Torah, every Shmini Atzeres, on the holidays of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, I'm sorry, uh, the three pilgrimage holidays of um, of uh, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, these are all times when um, the 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 um, the Torah, the 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 we're, we're furthering the marriage and the bond between the written Torah and the oral Torah, and we're moving it past its betrothal state, and we're moving it towards the ultimate union and oneness of husband and wife, as will be when Mashiach comes. Now, why is this so fantastic, and why is this so awesome, and why is this so incredible? So the concept is as follows. A husband and a wife is, and if we strip it from its external external physical uh, aspect, and we reach the core of it, the core of it is man is, the, the, the husband is the transmitter, the wife is the vessel, the container, she receives the energy, and she develops and creates the child from what she receives. So he is the transmitter and she's the receiver. So in the dynamics of Torah, there is a male Torah, which is the influencer, and there is the female Torah, which is the recipient and the receiver. What does that mean? Now let's so let's stop for a moment and, and ask ourselves a question. How does divine wisdom and divine communication reach us down here in the practical level? I want to know what God thinks about things. If I want to know what the the divine, what what the uh, what what the how you know what is God's perspective on anything in life? Um, what's unique about the Torah is that's the Torah. Torah is God's perspective. But how do I know what Torah thinks about life? So if I'm foolish enough, I can think I can take out a Bible and study the Bible and get a sense of what's going on. But we know that Bible without commentary is, is um, really a closed book. We really don't have any, I mean, we can read the Bible and, 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 and we can read the Chumash, we can read the Torah, what we call the Chumash itself, the five books of Moshe or the 24 books of scripture and think we have an understanding. But um, obviously our understanding is not even superficial and 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 um surface it's even less than that it's it's literally misunderstanding everything that's there you don't have a clue of what the torah is we can see from example from a mitzvah the mitzvot of the torah the commandments of the torah are absolutely um incomprehensible until we get the commentary of the rabbis and 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 this is not um, uh, this is something that Maimonides tells us already that the rabbis didn't just decide this on their own. This is essential core um, um, commentate manner of commentary. In other words, the method of this commentate of this of the how the comment how commentary needs to be or how it needs to be explained and how this commentary needs to be applied was taught by Hashem Himself when God told taught Moshe the Torah, God gave him a book, which is more like a mystical code, 
And then Hashem gave him also the explanation of it. Now he told Moshe, not all the details and sub-details and sub-sub-sub-details. He told Moshe, he taught Moshe the basic principles. And then all the details and sub-details of all of that, Moshe studied with the Jewish people, with the elders, and began the process of extrapolation. And they spent 40 years in the desert doing that. With this, he trained the rabbis of how to think and how to open up this, this closed book and how to extrapolate and how to reveal its meaning. So, for example, when it comes to a mitzvah, as I discussed last week, the Torah says you should take, uh, you know, uh, you should bind it on your, on your hand and put it between your eyes. Uh, everybody knows that if you encounter any Torah observant mitzvah, observant Jew, you won't see anybody walking with anything tied to his hand over here or anything tied between over here. You, you don't have that. Um, and if someone does that, they're just an absolute fool and they're not fulfilling anything. But tefillin is something that's part of the daily regimen and daily experience of a mitzvah observant Jew in which we're putting on the tefillin. But the tefillin is a box that's put over here and it's another box that's put the other box is not put on the hand, it's put over here on the on the left, by the muscle of the left arm. Um, now, the fact that it's a black box and it has four portions of the Torah written on it and it's made out of parchment and it's made with black straps and it's tied exactly the way it's tied and how it serves like a major co uh, conductor of current and energy it's coming from these incredible points, one right over here and one on the back of the head. Um, and then from there, it's delivering a, the spiritual divine current going all the way through the body, pr primarily flowing through the left arm all the way down to the fingers, and then through the straps coming from the back of the head going down to the front, um, not even getting into what the significance of all of that, which is, you know, once you watch it, you see it, you can see that there's something really amazing and otherworldly being, you know, happening over here, but that that whole entire structure how what where and when and what time it eats how it should be done what is the correct way of doing it that we do it only by day and we don't do it by night and that we have it and this is the way you strap it and these are the blessings you make when you do it and this is exactly how it must be written and with exactly this order and these words and so on and so forth there isn't a clue of that you don't wouldn't get a a a a, a one iota of that if you're just reading scripture Obviously, the commentator has to come, which is Torah Shabbat which gives us the commentary. And, and I gave one example of tefillin, so on as the examples going on and on and on. The complete observance of mitzvahs is only in the Torah Shabbat The Torah Shabbat means the oral law, which is the, the Mishnah, followed by the Talmud, found, find, followed by, continues to be elucidated and explained and detailed down into Maimonides, down into... Uh, the code of Jewish law called the Shulchan Aruch and the thousands and thousands of responsa that take it down to modern day application to a modern world all the way down to what what does God think about electricity and Shabbos things that did not exist way back then but how do we extrapolate from the Torah what is permitted what is not permitted what is called resting what is not called resting what is violation of Shabbos, and so on and so forth. These are all the details and sub-details. Now, this is regarding observance. It's not just regarding observance. It's regarding every nuance of Torah. It's explained. Certain parts of Torah are halachic, 
which is most of it, is halachic, which means guiding and governing behavior. Every aspect of behavior, from business law, social aspects of life, uh, um, family life, um, um, observances, ritual observances, uh, both applicable today's days, applicable in the time when the temple is standing, um, forbidden and and uh, and and whatever, everything, every type of aspect of it, is all elucidated in Torah Shabbat. But here's the idea. Torah Shabbat, the oral law, doesn't have anything original. It is it traces its its itself back. It's just explaining these the, the nuances of Torah Shabbat of the written Torah. Okay, so we have the and that's why Torah Shabbat is called the husband. It it has the concentration of the idea, and Torah Shabbat is the the oral law is the dissemination of it, its explanation, it's breaking it down into practical application. Now, um, so that's how the Torah, so we can say something like this. How does an absolute unknown God that we know nothing about communicate and make his will known to us? So the first thing is that he gave us the Torah. If God would not give us the Torah, we would know nothing about him and about his will and about how he wants us to live. I mean, we can guess and learn certain things. The sages tell us that certain mitzvahs or certain things we would be able to extrapolate that this is the divine will because we can examine the creation and we can find certain good traits. Like the sages say that you can learn um, 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 modesty from a, from a cat. Cats are very modest. So we should derive. So by analyzing creation, we can look at, or they we can learn um, uh, the 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 importance of hard work. We can look at ants. Ants carry, you know, King Solomon says it. You know, if you're if, if a lazy person, go look at at the ants. See how they line up, marching, carrying leaves. I actually saw it in the summer. We were somewhere, and we had millions of ants. I'm watching them plowing from five o'clock, from six. I don't know. Actually, I think I think at like four in the morning I didn't see them or something like that. Five, you see them working sun before sunrise, and they're all walking and marching, and they're carrying each one leaves that are bigger than them, and they're and they're bringing them with for hours on end. And imagine this tiny little ant catching it's it's like using enormous amount of power to be able to carry these things. So this is just an example where we can derive certain things from them. But we really would have a very 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 Minuscule, minuscule, minuscule. We would know nothing in compared to divine revelation. God revealed to us who he is, what he's all about, what he wants, what, he's, what his interests are, what his desires are, how he wants us to live. And that is because he emanated the Torah. And what is the Torah? The Torah is God's wisdom. It's the divine intelligence. That's what it is. Now, for the divine intelligence to be packaged in a book that we can read is a long journey. So it comes in, it comes primarily in two stages. First, God emanates, his, his wisdom is incomprehensible and infinite and utterly unknowable. So his, his, his essential wisdom is boundless, literally boundless, boundless, boundless. Now of that boundless wisdom, He 
um, what was the word I had earlier? He filters, or he, um, what was the word I was looking for? Uh, not diminishes. He, um, okay. Why, 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 exactly when I start teaching, my eyes close and my head starts falling asleep. I had a good word before. I'm going to wake up. It'll take me a few minutes. Um, there is this, this, ugh, why I just don't know right now. There is this, uh, what I'm looking for is a word that represents a tremendous reduction. And uh, almost like, not diluting. I wasn't looking for the word diluting. He's, um, no. There's only one word that captures it in English, which I'm not having right now. In any case, but we can understand what I'm trying to say. There is a major, major uh, um, oh, that's, yeah, so I'll put it. He distills, that's what I'm looking for. He distills, he distills his wisdom in a way that it can be captured into words. I'm talking about an infinite infinite light, infinite illumination, infinite intelligence, for it to be able to be captured or, 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 or to evolve into words, that is itself already an enormous descent. So this distilling is distilled until we get what's called Torah Shaviksav. The written Torah itself is already a, 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 a has already been distilled enormously. We'll soon see how much that is, just to give a little example. He gave the example of going to the ocean and filling one bucket full. Imagine one little jug of water from the entire ocean. So all that goes into the 24 books of the Torah, the 24 books, are called a, in Hebrew, the 24, it spells the word achaf and a dalet, which spells the word kad. Kad means a jug. So of this boundless wisdom of God, it's distilled into 24 books of divine words. And that's why the sages tell us, interesting, in Sefer Yetzirah, in the Book of Formation, which is a book attributed to Abraham, to Avram Avinu, it says in that book that there are three novelos, there are three things that drip where you have like a tree. And we know you have a tree and you have fruits, enormous. And then there are like the, the external elements of the tree that just drop to the floor. And those are not like the best of the best. It's like, you know, because there's so much, a little bit drips. And that's the idea of something very external. It says one of the three things that are called novelos, the external dripping, falling down. It's almost like the backside of a person carrying, imagine someone carrying this enormous uh, amount of whatever, a big, big, and a little bit drips out because you're carrying such a big barrel, a tiny bit drips. But over here, we're talking about the drip is 
way less than just a tiny bit. It's almost like a nothing. Um, oh, so the sages say, um, the Sefer Yetzirah says, the dripping of Chachma, of the true infinite wisdom of God, the tiny bit that drips down into this into this one, which be into the book that can form words, is the Torah. The higher Torah is 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 a novel, is a little bit that falls, which means one jug out of the ocean. But yet, those twenty four books are still on the level of God's words. And they're still infinitely higher than than words that can be communicated to creation. So even after it's distilled into the into the letters of the Torah, it's still an enormous mystery to us because it's Hashem's words, it's infinite words. The words themselves are glowing with the infinite light. So now it needs to be distilled another time. And the second distillation is from the Torah Shebiksav, from the written Torah, from the man, it needs to go to the woman. It needs to go to the female aspect of the Torah, which is the oral Torah. In Kabbalistic terminology means it has to be distilled again from Chachma to Malchus. Chachma is the first of the 10 Sefirot. Chachma is the, the Sefira, the attribute of God, which is an attribute already, but it's touching the infinite. It's the first of the attribute, and then it resides the infinite light. And that's why the innermost of Chachma is even beyond words. There's no words to it. It's just total oneness or nullification to the infinite. There's no letters and there's no words. The most external part of the Chachma is where the the 24 books of the Torah, because that you have already a uh, letters and words, but they are still the letters and words of Chachma. Then it needs to now be distilled and drip down all the way, all the way, all the way to the final attribute, which is Malchut, which Malchut means kingship, which is God already relating to finite existence. In it, the first of the attributes, the first of the ten spherot, touches the or ain't so the infinite. Malchus, the last of the ten spheros, touches the finite creation. And is the attachment of God to the finitude. And this is meaning it's the attachment of the spherot, which is the personality aspects of the divine, to the actual creation. Chachma is the attaching of the spherot to the purely infinite and boundless. So how does the lights of Chachma now transmit to Malchus? That means turn into a Torah that we can study and understand, and obviously apply to our lives, but it should have any meaning to, and that's all the commentary that we have on Torah. Now, last week we learned that the commentary that we have on Torah is so bafflingly vast it's so bound, it's amazing. What do we have? What did we learn? That we have 600,000 interpretations on the simple level of Torah, what's called pshat, literal translation. 
600,000 in code, 600 in, in uh, remez, which means code, 600,000 in, uh, they translated uh, the rush, homolytical, whatever interpretations, and 600,000 in secret in Kabbalah. 600,000, that means 2.4 million interpretations and on level on four levels of expounding on every word of Torah. And that's kind of the makes up the Torah Shabal Peh. So even if we, I mean, the Torah Shabal Peh itself, the, the oral law is so vast, meaning much more than we have in our books. But yet it's explorable. The Torah is explorable and 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 transmitted to the cre into the language of the creations on these two two and a half million commentate commentaries and explanations on every verse and on every element. However, we learn that doesn't even begin to decodify. That's called a very distilled, the two million four hundred interpretations on every line of Torah. And every verse is merely, merely, merely a small little drop of what's there in the bucket, although it's only a bucket of the infinite ocean. Why? Because all that Torah Shemal Peh comments on and explains is just the content of the words. It doesn't even begin to explore the actual letters themselves, what the letters mean. Every letter of Hebrew that's in the in the Torah is indicative and symbolizes millions of worlds of spiritual worlds, which we haven't begun to explore, and it's called Almond's theme, and it's called concealed worlds. Spirit, that's the letters, even higher than the level the letters, meaning far vaster, far more powerful, far on a level exponentially greater above the letters are the vowels, the nekudot, the vowels of the, I'm sorry, are the crowns of the Torah. Upon the letters, you can see symbolisms. The Torah is similar, which means it's so high, it can't even be expressed in a, in, a, in, a, in, in, in a complete shape. A shape is already giving already some solidifying. It's taking an energy and giving it some kind of a distinct form that you can explore and explain why this shape. Above that is these little, little, little markers. It's almost like you know certain things that are written, and then sometimes you know someone who really knows the subject really well, you know, reads the little markers, and the markers are only for like the real big uh, genius, the one who really knows. He he can you know see what it's what the regular person has to read, and the little markers that are marked on the top are are a higher type of a which you don't want to teach to the regular person. So you leave it just as a little, as a mark. So God is putting these little marks on the letters, which are indicative of levels of existence that are much higher and levels of divine secret that is much higher than the letters. And even the letters itself, we never explored. And it's not revealable in the oral law. In other words, the oral law is not, is not, is not um it's not opening up this dimension of torah this remains private this remains the torah of god the torah of when i say of god i mean the torah of the sefirot of the divine attributes it's not revealed at all in the malchut element which is the communication to the creation to the finite realm not the letters 
and definitely not the crowns that are on the letters. In other words, if you can look at a letter as a as a as a number, as a one, the every crown is a hundred. It's like a hundred times. I'm just give, giving a wild number. It can be uh, crowns are like on levels way beyond in terms of its value of what it represents. And above the crowns are the what you can't even see in the Torah, which are the nekudot, the the vowels, the comet, what that means. And above that, and way beyond that, is something that's completely hidden in the Torah, and that is something that we only have in tradition: is the sing song, the musical notes. Music is indicating the Torah on a so much higher level. All of this, however, is still part of what went into the scroll. It's part of the 24 books. So wait, so you see it's all, all on levels of four. You see? Even in, just like the commentator, the commentator, what Torah Sheb, as I didn't notice last week, what Torah Shebek Sav, what the written Torah transmits to the oral Torah is four levels. Remember we said simple, um, symbolic, um, homolytic, and secret, Kabbalist, you know, um, the same is also in the Torah, in the, in the, in the, in the written Torah itself, you got four level, letters, levels. In the private side of Torah, that which is not transmitted, that which the Torah keeps to itself, Excuse me, the letters, the 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 crowns, the vowels, the what's called the kudos, and the ta'amim, which are the song. So this is what I meant earlier. There's a lot of distilling that is necessary until it gets down to us. Now, this is hinted to, we learned last week very beautifully when Rivka, Rebecca, this drawing of this, in, you know what it takes, this drawing of the infinite light down to us. God's wisdom to be able to be communicated to us tiny little infinitesimal, tiny little creatures. It goes through, number one, from the infinite boundless ocean of wisdom, one little, one little jug, one little cup is filled with water from an infinite ocean. And where is it seen when Rebecca Rivka goes down to the to the well and she draws the water and where does she carry it on her shoulders we learned last week shoulder representing that that which is in the jug is only the backside of it from the shoulder from behind of it because only that is capturable in words but here's the part that i didn't say last week where is the transmission of the jug into where is in the story of rivka there needs to be hinted to not only the first distilling, but also the, the second distilling. The distilling of the masculine Torah going to the feminine side, going to Torah Shabbat, where's that? The servant, Eliezer, who's the servant, says to Rivka, pour for me ma'atmayim. Give me a little bit water, mikadech from your jug. That means I don't expect to know your jug. I want a little bit water of your jug. And who's the servant? The servant is Malchut. Malchus is called a servant because it's the, it's the, it's the, Malchus is the Shekhinah. It's the source of life for finite worlds. And finite worlds that are separated from God, that's the, that's the concept of kingship where a king and a subject, servant, 
That's where servitude starts. Worlds that are not God, they're subjugated to him. Or when I say not God means they're not, they don't experience themselves as part of him, but they experience themselves as something separated from him and they're subjugated to him. And that's why these, the source of that, even in God, is called the servant. And that's like King David, for instance, is the is the one who encapsulates Malchus and he calls himself Tahashem, Ani Avdacha, I'm your servant. So in this case, Eliezer, the servant of Avram, says to um, um, Rivka, you have the Torah bucket, give me a little bit. The little bit that she pours is everything that is explored, Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Sai, the two and a half million comment, the potential for the two and a half million explanations on every verse of Torah is what she poured over to him from her little jug, which she took from the infinite life. Now we're soon going to see, this is very important. Someone might walk away from this class and say, okay, so I always believed the Torah was awesome. But in a sense, you just belittled it because you said it's only a jug. So it's true, it's God's wisdom, but it's only a jug. So what's with the rest? God didn't give us the rest. Now we're going to soon see in the discourse, we get the whole thing. In truth, we get the whole thing. But we mean to, when we're saying that, it's not, meaning it's not, as we're going to see, as a result of our engaging in God, Shemchas Torah, then, number one, we even out the Torah, Shebek, the, the oral Torah marries the, the written Torah, and they experience a union where he gives her not just a little bit of water, not a little pour, but he pours his everything into her. But there's even more than that. And even the jug is uplifted to capture the entire essence of the ocean. And all of that is then given to her. That means we get everything. We get all of God. And obviously, that takes forever and ever and ever and all of eternity to unpack and unravel and, 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 and open that up inside of us. But we're talking about the way the system is set up of the way the Torah evolves on its own. It's in a system of, as we spoke, we found this enormous double distilling. Distilling number one is from the infinite wisdom of God for it to come down into a Sefer Torah, into a book of Torah, a, a, a book of the divine word. And then from the divine word for it become, to have commentary into creation language into our language, that's, again, the second distilling. Both these distillings are hinted to, and this is before we start learning further, in what it says in Parshas Vezosa Bracha, it says, by the Hashem, Hashem is Sinai Bo, when God came to give the Torah, Vezorach mi Seir, Hashem shined, shone forth from Seir, um, uh, and he came with Rivivos Kodesh, with Myriads of holy angels. So simply it means God came shining up from, he appeared to us from Seir, which is a certain area. He came towards the Jewish people from Seir. But the deeper meaning of that is as follows. This verse is talking about these two levels of distilling. Distilling number one is Vizarach mi Seir. That Hashem is shining through a hair. Imagine how much, you know, a hair we discussed grows next to the brain, next to the head. Mostly, the hair, the, 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 the general rule is that the more energy 
there is in, in a certain part of the body, here grows around it because uh, here it comes from like, you know, energy that can't be contained and it bursts out and it's, it's almost like overflow of energy and it seeps out into these various different leakages. And the here contains this excessive energy. So, um, but how much of the brain, of a person's brain power, can you say is in one's little one here? Nothing, nothing of nothing. It has absolutely zero significance to say that, oh, I lost the here, I lost part of my brain. I didn't lose anything. <laughs> but, but yet there is something there. So we're saying like this, from the infinite wisdom of God, noivlois, the tiny drip that drips is coming through one tiny hair, the entire Torah Shabbat, the entire written Torah. With all that information that we discussed about before, in which on every, on the lowest of the four levels, is hinted, on every letter is hinted to myriads of worlds, millions of millions, it means 10, it means 100 million wor worlds, worlds. You know, it's 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 not to believe on every letter. Now this entire thing that's on the lowest level, which is the words, higher and higher and higher and higher, all of that is just emanating from one here. That's the first distilling, as it's coming from the ocean into the jug. The jug in this case would be compared, the flow from the ocean to the jug is through the one what is through one here, okay? Now, but that's the first descent. The, the, the second descent is once you have already divine words, godly words, it needs to be translated into, into commentary for finite creations of time and space. That's the second level of this, and that's the meaning of asa, he comes, asa means he came, but it's in it's in Aramaic. The word "asa" is the one is one of the only words in the Torah that is not in Hebrew. It's an Aramaic, showing it's a coming, meaning it's coming forward, but coming forward in a very very filtered manner. That's why Aramaic means it's a translation of coming. It's not it's not whatever is here is coming here. It's already a diminishment, an enormous diminishment. It's and it's coming made either voice in hundreds of tens of thousands it's coming from where from kodesh from chachma which is the torah the torah is chachma and it's descending from there when it's descending from chachma you can have one word of torah that as we spoke earlier gets com gets commentated a two million two and a half million explanations two and a half million ways of of seeing it and understanding it that means rivervos. It's 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 emerging outward into hundreds of thousands of various different interpretations. But where is it coming from, Kodesh? So this is the double descent. Okay, this is a a kind of a this is kind of a review of what we learned in last class. Now that we know that, we begin Siv Beis. This is on page Sadik Dalit on. Page 94, and we're holding over here. Now, this, this flow from the written Torah, we're going to talk about the second distilling, drawing it down from the divine words, from the Torah words, and bringing it down to the oral law. It's bringing it from husband to wife. 
drawing the Torah down from the masculine words, which is utterly incomprehensible to us, to the feminine language, which is more a word, a, a, a language that we can understand, which this itself is such a fall. It's such a, it's such a diminishment. She'en aroch, which we said, remember we said earlier, Chachma is where, where the sefirot, the attributes, plug into the Ein Sof, to the infinite. Malchut is where the other end, where the sefirot plugs into the creation. So you're talking about, you know, you have to now have enormous circuit breaker that is going to break down this, this, this energy from such high voltage, from infinite power down to, you know, that, that which the, the recipient is able to take. EF share, this is requires This requires enormous amount of contraction and restraint. God has to really, really hold back. And he has to deliver only, only as we say. Minuscule of the minuscule. To contract the light that is drawn from wisdom. And this is the meaning of what, after it says, he comes from a, it says, he comes with the myriads of holiness. What is the next words? From his right hand, is a fiery law. That's the continuation of the verse there in Vezoy Sabracha. In words, after he came, the, the verse is describing God is coming from here and he's coming with millions of, of angels. That's what it seems like. And we learn now a much deeper interpretation. And in his hand, he's carrying the fiery law. And then it says in the next verse, Torah Tzivalano Moshe, Moshe gives us the Torah. So it's also describing how this came to us. The Torah came to us. But here he's giving us the inner meaning of what does this mean. So first he's describing how the evolution, how it's descending. But now he's giving us insight. What's the mechanics that in that 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 cause this enormous distilling to bring it down onto such a in a way that's comprehensible to us? The nature of water, the nature of 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 water, which is really kindness, is to give and to give and to spread and to expand. So when you have the gushing brain of God with its boundless energy, with its boundless wisdom, and now it needs to dilute and, and pay attention to our tiny little, 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 little peep squeak brains and capacity. This will take an enormous, enormous self-discipline on God's end to discipline his energy translate it to the it's like it's like taking the most brilliant scientist and putting him into a very average you know second grade or first grade or pre one a classroom and telling him to teach obviously you want him to teach something that you don't want him to teach silly things because if he's teaching silly things then you don't need him you can bring in any silly teacher to, to have the, 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 the albert einstein go into it you want him to teach something that albert einstein can but to distill it into something so tiny and small that little children can appreciate and learn something.
and get the essential ideas of Albert Einstein, but to get it in a way that doesn't overwhelm them and that will actually be able to like enter into their, you know, and open up their minds to want more and to explore and that they one day they will be scientists. Takes an enormous, because generally he would say he doesn't want to go. Why would he want to go into a little class? He can't, you know, give me my, give me great science, you know, find, you know, you know, let's have a, a, an entry test for the, you know, have an examination of the highest, go through a filtering process. Only the most brilliant, 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 brilliant minds from all the colleges and all the, across the world, Harvard, uh, you know, the, they'll come into the classroom and he'll handpick his students and to them he can teach and to them he can teach comfortably without having to, to contract like that. He doesn't want it to, it, it, it's hard to contract. You don't want to contract. You just want to, oh, so for God, it's an boundlessly, it's an infinite greater contraction. So there has to be a force that causes that. And guess what the force is? The force is love. When it's as a result of it, of, of a maddening love, it's a love of, a, of, of an where God has such a deep love to his creatures and to his creation and to his tiny little, little, little things that that love forces the contraction. But how does the love force the, cre the, the, the contraction? We're going to see through a reciprocation to, to a contraction an enormous self-sacrifice and self-restraint that's coming as a result of a, that's powered by a love. So what does that mean? What basically he's going to explain is that we need to create that contraction. How do we create that contraction? By self-disciplining. We also have sometimes urges, wants, desires, in which our which want to flood into all all different directions and by us restricting our own will and desire and holding it back and and contracting our want that contraction of self has infinitely higher repercussions to cause in heaven to cause at the highest peaks of existence a self restraint But it's not just, but, but what, but it's not just self-discipline on our end. It's a self-discipline as a result and part of the relationship with God. It's a type of self-discipline that comes, in other words, as a result of our sacrifice of ourselves, of our own want, causes God to sacrifice also his infinite desire for expansion and he does the opposite and, and 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 dilutes to be only to be to be focused laser focused onto giving us transmitting his wisdom to us that's because of the self discipline that we are sacrificing and what's the idea what is most meaningful in a relationship between a husband and a wife between two people that really really love each other very much is when you can show your your beloved your better half if you can say 
that they mean so much to you that you have something you really, really want, but you don't do it because you know it's it it's it's gonna make them uncomfortable. It's uh they want you elsewhere or doing something else. I mean, you can buy your someone who you love very much chocolates and flowers and and make beautiful cards and so on and so forth. But one time that you show your spouse that you have something you so burningly want to do, and they know you want it so much, you want to go on a certain trip, your friends are going out, they're doing something enormous, and you've been waiting for it, you're so excited. But for whatever reason, she's not feeling well, and you say, you know what? You know, you didn't get me home. I'm not going because of you. That care and that sacrifice of 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 of, of and yet it takes enormous amount of 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 of, of self discipline of holding back, and you're sacrificing it all because there's something that is more important to you, and that's your relationship, your love for for your for your wife, for your husband, and so on and so forth. That means a million more points, if you can say, love points, than, than all the flowers, chocolates, and all the expensive gifts you can get. Because it means there's nothing more important to me than you. And therefore, I will override everything else in my life because, because, because of my love to you. So when we do that with God, when we have desires and wants, and 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 you know towards other things, not always necessarily towards Hashem and so on and so forth. And we set it all aside, even at the cost of making ourselves very uncomfortable. That sacrifice, where we're doing it, causes God to sacrifice His infinite self and His infinite wisdom, and to distill it and channel His Torah down to us, to pass it to us. Even though it's like bringing that 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 great scientist down into into the classroom with the enormous sacrifice that it would take because of love as he explains over there the zero when this is the meaning from his right hand comes the fiery law so first of all he explains the word thus is referring to Torah the oral law because that's the law the law is Torah as it's coming down in a manner of law. When the Torah is still in the original Torah Shabiksaf form, you can't really call it the law because it's not applicable law. It's just ideas. It's divine ideas. When does it become the law of the land? When it goes down into the Mishnah, it goes into the Talmud, and it makes its way into the Shulchan Aruch, the code of law, then you know that it's the law. So it's saying, but here it's, it's, it's calling it the fiery law. Why is it the fiery law? Fire is the energy of Gavura. And Gavura, fire, Gavura, is the power to self-discipline. It's the it's enormous disciplining energy where God self-restrains his infinite wisdom so that he can produce the law. Which is the, the oral law. From the written law. It comes about through fire. Which the fire is in is a symptom, it's a contraction. He contracts the water, the nature of the water, the nature of the ocean of wisdom 
is for it to be an ocean, for it to be vast, for God's infinite wisdom to like expand and 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 and, and just be free and and not contract itself in these tiny little formulas that it's being given to us, but in all of its vastness. Just like it's the nature, and just like it, we see physically that the nature of fire is to restrain the water. The nature of water is to expand. The Eish Mekavitz and the fire does the opposite. As it said, He restrains with fire. He gives you a whole bunch of sources to look up, which would make us much wiser if we looked up all these places. Look at all these sources where it discusses this concept of Eish Das, which is associated with this idea, the enormous restraint and fire element that is required to, to as we spoke earlier, to distill the enormity of the waters. Uh, however, till now he discusses what? Now he's causing what's the cause? Who causes this distilling to happen? Who are the ones who evoke? The fire from above. For it to contract and for it to um, 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 restrain itself. The tzimtzum, the, the contraction that happens in the supernal wisdom of God. These are the souls of Israel. It's the it's the it's the souls, it's the Jewish soul within the world. And our as you can explain, our sacrificing of our will and restraining our desires for God's sake causes God to reciprocate and restrain himself. It's true, our our restraining is silly things. We have a bunch of animalistic desires and wants, some kosher, some not so kosher. But if we and, and 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 yet when we restrain these which were such a silly desire and if you think about the desire how strong is the desire it's pretty strong but you can't compare it to the god's infinite desire of expansion and yet it's the god is our shadow whatever we do he does so it's amazing we actually create the torah that's the whole idea we stimulate the 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 descent of Torah to this world, the ability for it to happen. It's through the flames of fire. Now, it's interesting. If we'd be just talking about discipline, he wouldn't call it flames of fire. He would call it the fiery element of discipline. It's flames of fire because we're not talking about just a discipline. We're talking about discipline that comes because of a maddening love that we have. We're not dealing with just, okay, restrain yourself, restrain, restrain. Talking about be so in love with God that anything that might get in the way of the relationship, everything that might cause a little distance, you're restraining. Even if you want it, you're not you're not having it because what's overpowering in you is your desire to be close to God. Through the flames of fire below, 
which those flames of fire, just as fire, what did we say earlier? Fire causes things to contract. So just like the, so the flames of fire below, which is what? The restraining or the, or the, the, the nullification of our own desires. So this stimulates above as well. We trigger the fire element in God. Just like God has, so to speak, a nature, if you can say. He emanates of himself a nature to want to expand infinitely, to want his, his brain, so to speak, to, to fire off infinite ideas, boundless, endless fountains of, 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 of brain, God's mind to be brainstorming without an end. The same, that's the power of God's water. The power of the divine fire is to is to do the opposite. Contract it, dilute it. Not allow the mind to run infinitely wild in all directions, so to speak. Dilute it down, filter it so that he can communicate something of value to us. We evoke above Gamkeim, which is the fire, which is required, what we said earlier, age dust. To create the law to us requires the fire. It's the power of Gevura and the power of contraction. Now this idea that there are two fires, the fire below stimulates and produces the fire above was something that we can actually see in the temple. In the temple there was a, a altar and on the altar there was fire and we know there was a double fire there was a fire that came down from heaven and burnt the the sacrifices and but it says that even though you can't rely on the fire from heaven you have to bring your own human fire the kohanim needed to light a fire they had to bring wood and fuel and they made a fire but after they made their fire it was it was matched by the fire from above so this is the idea that he's explaining and he's going to take it even further. He's not just using a similar idea that though, just like over there, the lower fire triggers the higher fire. But where was the lower fire? What kind of fire? It was a fire on the on the altar. What's the Hebrew word for altar? Mizbeach. And what does Mizbeach mean? A place where you do sacrifices. So it's the fire of sacrifice. In order to make a sacrifice, you need to restrain, which is the fire. That's a sacrifice. We're talking about not just a sacrifice of an animal. It's a sacrifice of a desire and a want. And you hold the back on your desire and of your own want. And what are you sacrificing on the altar? The animal, which metaphorically is referring to our own animalistic desires and wants, which sometimes is so powerful and so strong, it's seeking to break free and just wants to do whatever the heart desires and requires an enormous restraint. And that's the fire of sacrifice where we sacrifice our own wants and desires because we know that it might get in the way and it might cause distance between, between us and God. And we don't want that to happen. And we place God first before everything else. So that's what he explains here. Similar to the fire that's on the altar. Even though fire comes from above, we still need to bring our simpleton fire, our human fire, 
like it says in the verse the children of Aaron the Kohanim should give fire on the altar so now he says what's the Mizbeach so now he says that the, in addition to the altar being a physical altar the altar represents the Jewish soul the Jewish soul because Mizbeach is connected to to Malchut, to kingship, and the souls are all part of Malchus. So it's called the Mizbeach. And one of the characteristics of the Jewish soul is that it's willing to sacrifice everything, even its very life for God. Sadly, throughout Jewish history, martyrdom and millions of people who gave their lives up for the sanctification of God's name so that's why the Jewish soul is called a sacrificer. It's called the altar. The general soul, which is in which every single person sacrifices his evil inclination, his own or animalistic inclination, to subdue it. And when we have an, a, a, a desire that is not kosher or maybe just excessive materialism that doesn't serve a purpose, even though it's enjoyable, and even though we have a, a lot of burning fire for it, we say no, we restrain it. That's called the skafia. And even further than that, it's sabcha. Sabcha means to convert it. We take our unholy fire and somehow manage to convert it into holy passion. And we consume all of our other desires and wants, and it all gets burnt up in our one desire in our relationship with God. It's like when a person, when they become madly in love, that love is so overpowering and so crazy that it sweeps up all the other passions. It's almost like there's no passion left for anything else because everything becomes, people forget their business, they forget everything, they become just consumed with this one person they love so much. So it sweeps up all the other loves. And that's the idea. First, it's fighting. There is a there is a clashing between other interests. When the love is not so strong, it clashes with other. But when the love becomes all-consuming, it consumes every fire. And that's the idea, Elias Iskafia, for there to be a, a, a subduing. This and transformation. For who and what does that mean? And what did they offer in this? Again, the altar means sacrifice. The fire is the energy that it takes to sacrifice. It's the energy of self-restraint. Or the passion that we have in our love to God, which causes us to, 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 to restrain. That's the other. The fire itself means two things. The fire means the burning drive of the connection, the passion of the connection. And at the same time, the, the restraining power that brings about, that creates the altar, which is the idea of sacrifice. But what are we sacrificing on the altar? The animals. So what does that mean? Just like in the physical altar in the temple, they offered oxen. Which is an animal. To cause this animal to ascend upwards. The same is also. In every soul of Israel. For the soul. For the person to be in a state of bittel. Of, of surrender. The skafya and subduing of the animalistic nature of the person. And we subdue that through the flames of fire. So this fiery passion to God 
which produces also a restraining power within the person to restrain and to hold back on all other wants and desires. All of this evokes and stimulates the divine fire above for God to restrain himself as well. By your days and through this we awaken the fire above for God's fire to burn in his own self to, to stop his boundless infinity of expressing itself in its inf- in its all of its infinity, but rather to dilute and to filter and to diminish um, and distill that down to a comprehensible Torah to us. However, now he explains this itself that we have such fire for God, a fire that is meant that causes us to to forget about all other things that we have in our life and just be focused on God and sacrifice everything else. Who gives us that fire? That is given to us, coming to us from God. Remember, we learned a long time ago in the, in the Mimer of Tzitzis. This year, we learned it. This year, we learned that what, the woman is called Isha, which is Eish He, which is Eish He means the fire of the woman. Like we learned last week in Parshas Bereshis, it says the woman is called, uh, they call her Isha. And, and and but uh, and what does what does Isha mean? It's Eish He. It's like it says by the woman. It says, "Well, Ishech to your husband will be your desire." So it's desire, and spiritually it means the desire of the woman, which is all souls, every single soul. Its desire to God is called Eish He. The desire of He is the recipient. But the verse says, "Why is she called Isha? Ki meish because she's taken from the man." What's the man? Eish Yud. It's the fire of the Mashpia. See, there's two fires over here. The man has a fire for her, and it's his fire for her that causes her fire for him. So it's a dual fire. So it's almost like God is waiting for us to stimulate his fire. But who put the fire? Who kindled the fire in us to begin with? Who lit the match inside our soul? It was God ignited that match. And continuously, that divine match, that divine fire, which God is continuously kindling in us to create within us the passion that it takes for the self-restraint to hold back on anything else, that comes to us from Hashem, but the agent who delivers that that fire to us is, let's take a look at the altar. Who lit the fire on the altar? It was the Kohen. And the main Kohen is Aaron. The high priest. So Aaron, the high priest, is the one who's channeling that fire to us. It's the it's it's God, it's the man's fire stimulating the woman's fire. And Aaron is the agent to bring that down to us. And what's the objective of this fire? The objective of this fire is to keep. To keep her devoted to him, that she should be devoted to him and shut out any other fire that she might have. And she should be exclusively devoted to him. That's the fire. So we're going to see 
what that means. It's great. This is awesome. We'll see in a minute. To evoke and to awake this feminine, womanly love that we have within our souls. In order to, to stimulate that, that itself we get divine assistance. And almost it's almost like God awakens us and through us we awaken him it's a, that that's what it is it's it's this back and forth like it says that the sons of Aaron they're the ones who put fire where in Vayikra Aleph Zion in Perik and Vayikra right Pasuk Aleph Zion there it says this was the mimer we learned this year. Why she called Isha, which is She took this fire from her husband. He gives her this fire. So too, it says, now he's going to show us where is it in our lives that our own, the high priest, lights our fire. Where do we find that in our experience? So he says, very interesting. One of these experiences is the holiday of Sukkot. He's put, this was a mimer that was said by the Alter Rebbe on, on some chastar, Shmini Atzeres. So everything he's explaining from the context of Sukkot. We know that on Sukkot, the main celebration of Sukkot is that we sit in a Sukkot. And the Sukkot is to commemorate the clouds of glory that surrounded the Jewish people during the time when they were in the desert. We know that the clouds of glory were in the merit of Aaron, the high priest. The manna, the man came in the merit of Moshe. The water came, the special water, miraculous water that they had in the desert came in the merit of Moshe's sister, Miriam. And the clouds came in the merit of Aaron. That's why when Aaron died, passed away, what does it say? The Jewish people were exposed and they were under attack. The Amalekites came to attack them because they saw that the Jewish people were left vulnerable. The clouds that protected them suddenly disappeared. They came back again. The first they did, they left. Now we know, and that's why the clouds are actually called Anana da Aro. Now the clouds of Aro. And when do we experience them in terms of, we have them all year long but in a vague, in a way that we don't see them. Which time of the year do we literally feel, see the hover clouds hovering above us? That's the Sukkot. So during Sukkot is when God is sending Aaron, the high priest. Now we're going to find out that since the job of Aaron, so simply you look at the Sukkah as a form of divine protection, God's love, he's hovering over us, he's protecting us. But we know one of the elements of these clouds is that they express God's love. But in which way do they express God's love? Love can be communicated in various different ways. When you love someone, you can spend time together talking. You can speak words of love. You can look into their eyes. You can do various, you can kiss them. You can do various different things that express love. One of the powerful expressions of love, and, and the languages of love are universal and all, but one of the most powerful expressions of love is an embrace, is hugging someone. You love someone dearly, you hug them, and hugging means you draw them very close to you. The sukkah 
is a divine hug. It's God hugging. Literally, God is grabbing every single one of us and holding us very close to him. And we're hugged by the sukkah. Now he's going to explain how that hug that God hugs us in the sukkah is really administrating this fire into our soul. Remember we said the woman's fire, watch this. The woman's fire comes from her husband. She, The husband, he is putting into her that she should have such a madness of love to him that, and, and the main point over here is, of that love is that it's that fire in the love that makes her, makes her, and we, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on her, the same would apply on him, but in this dynamic between us and God, makes her cancel all other aspects that are external to the relationship. And even though they might naturally, intrinsically be important to her, she sets them aside because her husband becomes the most important thing in her life. So even if it means certain discomforts, lack of having certain things, but she puts it all aside because of the fire that she has in her soul for him. And in that fire gives her the energy for self-restraint and restraining everything else and remain devoted to him. Which in turn, when he sees that sacrifice of her to him, evokes in him an enormous sacrificial, if you can call, love in which he is going to sacrifice everything that is meaningful to him so that to, be, to, to, to be with her. And which requires, as we said earlier, in terms of the ultimate male and female, which is God and us, an enormous sacrifice on his end to set aside all of his enormousness so that he can trans be he can make himself tiny and small and 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 channel his infinite light into our finite space into our finite experience so where do you see that in the sukkah one of the element what is a hug a hug means you're grabbing someone and you don't let them go away that's what the love, that's what the hug says. Every expression of love is communicating subconscious, sublineal messages. The sublineal message, you might not be consciously aware of it, but the reason you're hugging someone is because you're basically saying, you're mine, I don't let you go away, I don't want you to go away, which means I want your deepest inner interest to be focused only on me and nothing else besides me. Now, why do I have to hold you? I have to hold you because I realize that as a, as a person, you are an independent person. There are other natural interests which might distract you. There are other things that you might get caught up with. I know you have a, 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 an area, a, a whole, a whole uh, uh, range of things which as a, a person might interest you. You might be interested in this. I'm not talking about, God forbid, going out of the relationship. But even within the relationship, you get distracted. Other things start becoming important. I don't. I want to make sure that you, your heart, your your entire being, is close to me, and that you're not gonna get. You're not gonna turn your back. You're not gonna turn your back to me. You're gonna remain face to face with me. I'm holding you. Your inner passion will be to me. When God hugs us on sukkahs, what is He doing? He knows that after the holidays. Let's say now we're two weeks after the holidays already. And we enter more into the world. We're not in, 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 we're not that spiritual anymore. We're more engaged in a material world, back to business, back to everyday life. It's very possible that we can get lost and 
and excited and 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 fully you know passionate about all kinds of aspects in life that are not that is not our relationship with him so for that he hugs us for seven days and when he hugs us during that time he instilled this fire and that's why he's it's our own because who's the job who puts the fire on the altar that's Aaron Akoin. So that's why it's the clouds of Aaron. It's the sukkah. Where the where his fire is transmitted to us that we should have a fire for him. And which is a power to of, of self-restraining. And when we do that self-restraining, again, as we said before, that triggers on his end also that he's he makes sure that he won't drift away into his hobbies and his interests. Imagine God drifting away into his hobbies and his interests. He has really cool hobbies and interests and things that are really like awesomely endless and boundless. He has his own collections and his own really cool stuff. He can create billions of worlds out there that are like really cool and really boundless. And he can continue creating them endlessly all the time. And for him to focus his energy on us down here and to remain is, is, the, is, is, is an incomprehensible restraint. And yet... He does it. That's the idea. His right hand embraces me. What is that? It's the drawing down of these encompassing lights. Sukkot is a time when we're sitting in a sukkah. We're, in, we're enveloped in a sukkah. These are drawn to us. What is it really? It's these encompassing energies of the divine love it's god's heart that's encompassing because it's bigger than we can ever fathom leo is that he's holding us in it he's gripping us tightly just like when you hold on to a person you hug a person you do not allow this person to turn his back to you the soul is also the, as well the drawing down of these makif lights, of these encompassing lights on sukkis, nasekoach, this becomes our power, l'chol nefesh mi Yisrael, to every soul of Israel, not to be seduced by all extraneous forces, that means to subdue the other side, which means our other interests that might come to us from our body, from the physical world around us, and to say no to all these things and to remain focused only in the relationship. Zehu, now on this general idea. Okay, this will take us back to a mimer that we learned for a few weeks before Sukkot. This general idea that in order to make God sacrifice his infinity so that he can distill his, his vast Torah Shebik his vast um, um, Torah light that is on a godly level and distill it into the Torah Shabbat Peh, into the, into the uh, oral law, which is, again, divine communication to us that we could comprehend and that we can make applicable to our existence of time and space. In order to stimulate that, we said before, there needs to be the fire, and we create that fire, that idea, is hinted to in the concept where it says, and this is the meaning where it says, don't read it, only the builders. You see, this comes, it brings us full circle to the discourse that we spent four weeks reading, I think three or four weeks before, during the month of Elul, we were learning where it says, Shalom, 
uh, um, what was the words over there? Verav Shalom Banayich, and much peace to his children. And the sages play on the words, and they say, "Don't read it, children. Read it, the builders." Bonayach. So we learned then. I mean, now you now now you get a a a a a, a, a you get a little ch- a, a little check check. I mean, now you can check retaining. <laughs> like, what do you retain from what we learned for four weeks? We were busy learning this idea. How there is a concept called children. And then, which is the, and then there is a concept called building. Building, we learn. I don't want to get into it because it's a lot, and I'm not going to go there. It's, it's just, it, it's, it stands independently on our mimer without that whole discourse because you can see it's a, it's own discourse. But over there, we learned that bonayach. What the sages mean is as follows: bonayach is to build the, the the divine kingdom. Divine kingdom means to build malchut, to build to build the shechinah, to build malchus. In our case, it means to draw the light down from Chachma, from the Torah Shabiksav, from the written Torah, and build the oral law, which is God's kingdom. Because again, how does God rule a world through his... The, if the Torah remains just in its original divine form, it's not transmittable as the law of the land. It's the law. In order for it to come down to the law, it has to come down into Malchut, into kingship. And that's called the building. It's the feminine world which is constructed. Chava, when Chava was created, remember we discussed it then. It says God built the rib. Bonai, he built it. It's like building a city. It's building an empire. So what he's saying over here is like this. When the sages say, don't read it, son. Don't read it, banayich, but read it, bonayich, which means builders instead of children. They don't mean that if that's the, they don't mean to cancel children. It means how do you bonayich, how do you build by first being a child? It's as a result of being banayich, sons, as a result of that, you can become banayich, the builder. What does that mean? What is he saying over here? In order for us to communicate the, the, the mystical divine Torah, the, 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 the infinitely godly Torah, and to, and to distill it so that it can come down and be practical in the world of Malchus and become the, the guiding force of all worlds, the, 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 the empire of Hashem, and to be the governing power of God in the world that needs, requires that enormous distilling of that energy. We said earlier, how do you do that? You first have to create the fire that it takes to do that. And creating the fire means canceling within yourself all other desires. Now, in general, it, the, the peak of that is that you reach a point that you have no other desire. Other, now, again, on, on, the exter- on, on the elementary level, it implies a struggle. It's like we said earlier, I'm holding you close to me because I don't want you to go away. Which means I know right now you're loving me, but I know that in five minutes from now, you're going to turn around. You're going to see a bunch of other things. You're going to get onto your phone and you're going to get caught up in whatever thing you're busy playing with or looking at, or, or you're going to get onto the, onto the television. You're going to be watching football. You're going to forget about me completely. It's like husband and wife. They forget about each other because they're busy. And then you get into your business. You get into the thing. So I, 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 
I'm holding you because I want you to know that I, that, that I want to hold you. I don't want your heart to go anywhere else. But that implies that in the recipient, in the other, in this, in the significant other, there is a struggle. You might go somewhere else. And I hope that your desire for me and your 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 appreciation of your relationship with me will be so will be strong enough that you will help you subdue and overcome all other desires. So on the elementary level, there's still a struggle. And and one is overpowering the love of their relationship and that overpowers then the bottom line is i'm gonna i'm gonna shut my book that i'm reading i'm gonna shut down the game that i'm playing i'm gonna leave the 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 super bowl that is now completely consuming me and if you need me to go to the store someone told me something beautiful last week he said that someone trained him in really well before he got married this is very supposed telling me is that someone told him that, that, that when you're in the soup you're watching the super bowl and it's at the very end that everybody's crazy and your wife asks you that she needs something important you know she just needs you to get her i don't know and you might look at it as silly he says but if you go and you leave the super bowl <laughs> You don't watch it for those for the last 10 minutes and you go to Trader Joe's to get her. Um, like I discussed earlier, what was that ice cream I used a few weeks ago? I had a good flavor. I forgot what it was called. Oh, what was it? You remember? <laughs> so that will be, she'll remember that for 10 years. That's the point. Oh, so, so that means you'll over, with this desire will overcome that desire. But there's a struggle. But then the, the ultimate of it means that the love becomes so overpowering and so all-consuming that you reach a point where you really don't have any other desires anymore. Everything else becomes canceled. Only, my only desire is my closeness to you. That's it. Everything else became utterly meaningless to me. So that's the, that's the advanced state that's the advanced state of the fire of restraint is that it became an all-consuming it's almost like it doesn't have to restrain anything because it knocked everything else out it restrained already everything and now there's only one heart with one desire and one want an hour so that level is going to reveal is going to explain to us over here is really the concept of a child the sages tell us that a child is called the leg of their father. The child is the leg of the father. Now, obviously, you're not going to see this by all children. And many children, you won't see any of it. But the real level of child, of the child, is just that the person is not in connection, in tune with their child element but the real element of being a son or a daughter of someone is to have such a deep connection that you become the leg just like a person's legs the sages are very accurate with their words just like a person's own legs don't have a mind of their own don't have struggles it's not like you know when you wake up in the morning and you have an a plan how do you wake up in the morning? You have business to do. You have something you're planning to go somewhere. Do you have to start arguing with your legs? Because your legs, eh, I'm not in the mood. I have other things. I planned. I actually was, you know, had, thank God we don't have that issue. And if we do, we're in deep trouble. 
generally, when a person is a wholesomeness in the human being, if I decided I want to go somewhere, I need to go somewhere, and there is the general idea of laziness. You want to sleep. That's a that's that's the, that's that I, that to evoke within yourself the desire to go. That's a different story. But I'm talking about it's not compartmentalized that your feet, that your hands, and different parts of the body have different ideas, and you have to like kind of convince every part. Or that they even have to submit themselves. You can. Do you ever hear your 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 legs screaming? Shucks, like you know, ugh, like come on, come on. You know, like when you try to take. I'm I'm using the example. Try to take your kids somewhere, and and they don't want to go. They're like complaining, but they come. So the legs don't complain. They go, because they're you. So the sages are saying that your child has a leg of the father. That means when a child is really a child, which means. When in the child is revealed the true connection to their parent, the, the, the what is meaningful to their parent is their only desire. They want to fulfill the, the, the wishes of their parent to the point that there's no struggle anymore. There's only one heart. And that is one of the say, oh, oh, that's in contrast to a servant. A servant is someone who, because he's not an extension of the master, a servant is separate from the master. But he knows that the master cancels him. When the master wants something, he's got to obey. And the, under his nose, under his breath, he could be muttering all kinds of frustrations that he has to now get up or stop doing what he was in the middle of doing because his master needs it. But that's okay. You can mutter as long as you do what you need. I mean, obviously, you don't want to mutter too loud. But you can mutter and do whatever you want in your mind as long as the job gets done, then I and you do it, you do it correctly. You don't do it half-heartedly. You get it done. You do it, but I don't need you to want what I want. But from a child, that's the a child is so is tuned into the inner element of the father. The father wants something, it becomes the child's want. That's the concept of bonayach being children. So what he's saying is like this. When we attain that level, that our connection to God is of such, that we are like children, which means there isn't even competition anymore. All other fires, now when we say no competition, doesn't mean that that nothing is canceled. Hypothetically, there is other wants. Hypothetically, as a physical human being, I, I might have wants and desires that are not related to my relationship with Hashem. But that's only hypothetical. When it comes to actuality, the love of God has become such a dominant feature in my existence that right now, there's no other desire in me but to serve my Creator. That level is the ultimate revelation of the fire. The fire, the fire canceled every other desire other than the will. So that's the concept that we discussed earlier. To create within God a cancellation of his will for our will. Remember, to draw the Torah down is a derivative of our cancellation of all other wills expressed in the concept of a child, of Bunim. As the child reaches this to, a level, to the maximum level. The child, when the child is the way they ought to be. Then the child reaches this to the maximum level. Once you've attained that, then you become the builder. From Bonayich, you become the builder. What is the idea of the builder? 
The builder means you can draw down God's infinite wisdom down into Malchut, into kingship. You can build Torah Shabbat You can construct the law. You can construct. In other words, you can. Why? Because when you attain it, he says very, very beautiful. When you become God's feet, it's, it's almost like at this point, you're no more operating as a distinct entity in this world. You become God's feet. A child is the legs of his father. So someone who attains such a level of complete abnegation and cancellation of all desire other than the, the relationship with God becomes so identified with God that you become God's legs. What does the legs do? When the legs walk somewhere, they carry the head as well. The legs have enormous power. Because the legs can take the head to where the legs are going. So in order to draw God's head, God's intelligence, in order to, which as we discussed earlier, the written Torah, in order to take the written Torah, the intelligence of God, and bring it down, 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 down to manifest in time and space in our world. In other words, to join the written Torah with the oral Torah. To match the two together, to draw it down, those who are the legs of Hashem can make it happen. Because we said earlier, it depends on fire. It's the self-restraint. It's the cancellation of all other. Who attains ultimate cancellation of all other desires to the level that you have no other desire? That's the point. To the level that you cancel all, the, all, all other desires. That's the element of child. So that's how it fits into what we're learning. The Zehu, and this is what he says over here, Al-Tikri, don't read it, Bonayich, sons, Elo, Bonayich, rather builders. So he explains. Bonayich and Yisrael. Bonayich is Israel. Like it says, You are children to Hashem. You're God. Now what's the parallel to children? Kibra Karedavu, he. A child is a leg of the father. It's like the way of, by way of analogy, a leg that is completely surrendered to the to the head. What did we say earlier? Your legs are not supposed to give you attitude. And not only are they not supposed to give you attitude, they're supposed to be, and the way the legs work, not just they're supposed to, this is the way they are. They almost like, it's not like they're, they don't have a mind of their own, a desire of their own. They have the desire that whatever is they, whatever the head desires, the legs want. It's almost it's like automatically, it's attached, complete attachment. The that has no other desire, and that's the that's the real element, the uniqueness of a child. has no other desire. Where are those children? Right, we're wondering where they are. Right, we all should have those children. <laughs> which do the will of the father without an, without a bit of hesitation. Masha Enkin, which would not be the case of even a loyal servant. However, the servant, the servant has other desire. He cancels as well. So this is important to distinguish right over here, because soon in the mind, this is going to become very important as distinction. Even though earlier when he spoke about fire, it would imply that it is more suitable to the servant than to the son. Because we spoke earlier about that there is the fire is the idea of self-restraint. 
in order to cause God to restrain himself, we need to apply self-restraint. Now, self-restraint is only possible if you have other desire, and then you restrain that desire, which we would think is more applicable to a servant, because a servant has other desires, and yet every single time he overcomes the desire for the will of God. And in our service, it would mean we're still in a level in which we would like to do all kinds of other stuff, but we don't do them because God is, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, um, it's not beneficial to the relationship. It's not enhancing to the relationship with Hashem. So we would think that uh, that's a cancellation. That's self-restraint. He says, no, the ultimate meaning on the highest level that we're really talking about is, yeah, you are a person that hypothetically, like a child, hypothetically sh shouldn't have his own life and his own desires. But because he senses and feels his father so much, that he reaches such a deep event, and since he really comes from the father, he can become like a continuation of the of the dad and becomes the feet of the father. And that would mean an hour, an hour level of fire that we're talking about is that we our fire burnt out, not that it's holding a middle burning. See, the idea of the fire over here is that it's like the Alter Rebbe explains the difference between the tzaddik and the benoni, the and Tanya. The tzaddik is someone who's called an Eved Hashem. He's already a servant. The Bainani is someone who's called an Oved Hashem. He's working on becoming an Eved. I'm just borrowing that concept. He's still in the midst of the work of reaching that place. So similar to that, there is someone whose fire is still meeting resistance, but the fire is overpowering. And there is someone who has already been burnt to the crisp. The fire has already canceled everything. So on this level where everything else has been canceled, registers above as well that God cancels also everything else and focuses only on us. We're going to see in the discourse later that even though it, it should really therefore be that only a Jew that has retained such a high level of commitment and devotion to God, like King David says, I have no more Yetzirah, I have no more evil inclination. My love to you, God, has canceled all my other desires. So we would think that, therefore, in order to create this this reciprocal love of God, to join the, to bring down the infinite Torah down to the, into the lower Torah, the masculine Torah to the feminine Torah, to cause that transmission, requires only someone who has reached this level of, we're going to see that it extends to even the, even a much more simplistic person who still has the struggle and still has the fight, as long as they're they're in the fight, as long as it's still you're still struggling with it. In other words, in other, you're canceling yourself from time to time. It's not always you still feel other things, but you're you're in it. If you're in it, then that implies as well as we're soon going to see in the discourse. He's first taking the 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 ultimate of the achievement, the one who reached this level of applying fire to restrain everything else and therefore cause above as well the divine to activate the divine fire people that have reached the maximum level of it of course cause it to the maximum and those that are you know still struggling are also are also that too is acceptable to cause it as we're going to see later in the mind um so again 
A servant has other will. He's nullifying his will. That's avuhi. That's why the child is called the legs of the father. Look at that mind. The same is also above. Until now, we spoke about the metaphor, a child with a father. The general ensemble of Israel, of Jewish souls. When we attain this level of complete nullification of all other fires, which means in all other desires, so like it says, expressed in the verse, King David says, anything that is with you, which means anything that, that you created, any, anything that goes along with you, but it's not you yourself. I don't desire. I'm madly in love with you. I'm not going to settle for anything but you. When we don't have any other desire at all, that means our fire has completely burnt everything else out. We're called children. Once we're children, then we are his legs. Once we were his legs, we can carry his head where we want to carry it. And where do we carry his head? We bring his head down. Otherwise, his head is up in the clouds. We ground God's head that he should come down and teach us, give us ways of life. And through this, through this, we turn over the page to page 188. We are called, then we become builders. Just like the leg. Even though the feet are nullified to the head, which means they become completely secondary to the head, yet they dominate over the head. In other words, this is a cool idea. We become so nullified to God, but through our nullification, we dominate him. This is really cool. In other words, when we would think we are at our weakest because we become so not, that's exactly when we become the most powerful. Because once we're his legs, then we can bring him his infinite... We lead the head two ways. We read that we you 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 can lead the head from below upward. That means if the head is on the bottom floor, you can take the head up two flights of stairs to the third floor. And who can take the head up? The head can dream about the third floor, but it can't get to the third floor unless the feet walk up the stairs. Then the head can get there. So you can bring, and also if the if the head is in the third floor, the feet can bring it down to the first floor. That's the idea. You can take it up or down. And the same is also above. The same is also. The general, he's talking about all Jewish people as they are unified as one. All Jewish souls. Through the collective nullification of will. Because you realize every single one of us have our own struggles. But when it's all of us together, the general goodwill of Israel to fulfill God's mission in this world and to be so devoted to the, the, the divine mission, divine purpose, that we don't have any other, that we, that we kind of lose all other desires. That's obviously when the Jewish people as a whole are at a very high level. Like we stood at Sinai, we were in that level. Or like after the miracle of Purim, we were in that level. Right. We become builders. What does that mean we become builders? Now, why is it called builders? Because Malchus is a construction zone. 
And when we draw God's blueprint down into the constructions of how to construct the world based on God's wisdom, that's called building. We bring the architect down. We bring the brain behind the whole project down that he should be busy with the project. Or else the project is so small and tiny, it's like this small little Lego set. That why would God busy himself with this building these little Legos? But when we, it's like a, chi- a little child who grabs his daddy, who's this great CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and drags him and pulls him into the living room and sits him down on the floor to play and construct a little, a little airport with him, made out of Legos. Now it's 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 a, it's an enormous distilling of this man's busy importance, but only a child is able to do that. The child just grabs with the small little fingers, little, 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 tiny, little pinky, little fingers, grabs the big hand of the father and pulls the dad down to play with him. And that's what we do. We bring down the head. We're talking about the infinite head, which is the supernal wisdom, which is called the head. And we bring it down from up down. And we lift it from bottom up, which means in two ways. We lift the feminine Torah up to the masculine Torah and we draw the masculine light of the Torah down to her. This is, what exactly is the difference is not for now. But there is two motions over here. It's like the fact lifting the, fe- the feminine Torah is to like, for example, when you ask a question, this law... Where does it, where do you find it? Where does it come from? Like, where can you find it in the Torah? Where do you learn this out? The sages said, that means you're lifting, you, you start with the feminine, you, found, you start with the final product, the law, and you, and you search your way back into the written Torah. Where does it come from? Sometimes the opposite. You start Chumash and you'll find that there's something weird over here. Why is this extra vav? Or why is this extra? And you start figuring it out. And from there, you extrapolate a, a law. So here you're starting from up and you're pulling the energy from the higher Torah down to the feminine. Which ways are you starting? Are you lifting the bride to the groom or you're bringing the groom to the bride? In general, what we discussed the whole time till now is mainly the drawing down. Remember, that's what we discussed. To elevate the Torah, the oral Torah, which is the divine attribute of kingship, which is governing the world. Shanikra Kala, which is called the bride, we bring the bride to the groom, uh, to Torah Shabiksav, to the written Torah. which is the supernal wisdom, Shanikra Chasan, which is called the groom. Do the opposite as well, to draw from up down, from the written Torah, to the oral Torah. And that is the reason now, based on all of this, we'll understand why the Torah Balpeh is called betrothed. Number one, you see, she's married because she's receiving from her husband. But what's the idea of betrothal? Remember we discussed betrothal is just the first part of a marriage. It's husband and wife before they're getting intimate, before they're getting close, they're not living together. It's only that he has separated her, designated her to be his recipient. Because until now she's available. Anybody, any man can take her if she agrees. But now she becomes designated. She's already assigned to a to a to a husband. And a woman, as we know, 
even biblically, can only be married to one man. So um, how, how is that established? It's established when he when he um, betrothes her, and the manner in which betrothals usually happen. There is other way, but there's the manner in which is the most common is that he gives her something of value, which has been the custom already thousands of years to give a ring. He gives a ring to her, and that's how he establishes his. So what, is we, what did we learn about this last week? He's going to communicate of himself to her once they're going to get married and they'll be intimate with each other and so forth. But to initiate the process, he gives her a little tiny bit of himself. That energy of himself is transmitted via the ring. So he's not just giving her a cold piece of metal. He's giving, him his, he's giving her his energy. He's starting, it's almost like he's making a deposit on the full purchase. He's giving her now something of himself, an external, and by that he creates the relationship. It's called external because she's not yet ready for the complete unification. And now what happens? The groom, Nois and Atabas, gives the ring, Atabas Kedushin, he gives her the ring of the betrothal, and through this, he gives her some of his energy, some of his life force. That she should become designated. Now, here's the thing. I go into a store. Everything is available. Everything is available. However, then I come again, uh, 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 buy a nice item. I want to buy it. But I see that it says reserved. How did it get reserved? Someone put a deposit on it. It's not available anymore. Now, the person didn't pay the full price yet, but he put a deposit. And that's the idea over here. In other words, the, 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 the item still stays in the store because it's not yet going home with the guy because it's not fully his. But it's enough that it's, it's, it's almost like it's not yet his completely, but it's already removed from everybody else. It's already not, not, it's not yours, not yours, not yours. That has already established that it's not anybody else's. It's designated for him. And then later, when I'll pay the full amount, I'll come, I'll pick up the item. Now it's total, totally mine. So the same is also in a relationship. So first you put separated. This, so in, in spiritually, what does that mean? That, remember we discussed earlier, this entire energy from the man to the woman of Torah. From the infinite wisdom of God, which is the Torah Shabiksav, which we said is the Torah as it is utterly godly. What is the Torah giving? Only a little ring. Because what Torah Shabalpeh is receiving after it's been distilled, after Torah Shabiksav, remember we said, pour me a tiny bit of water from your jug. The tiny bit of water is only the ring. If it would be a real intimacy, that he would be pouring the entire cup. If he's giving only the ring, he's giving, so what does that mean? The two and a half million interpretations on every word of Torah, that's the ring. That Torah Shabiksav is giving to Torah Shabopet. The, the written Torah is, is transmitting to the, the, the male Torah is, received, is transmitting to the female Torah. God's vast, infinite wisdom is transmitting just a tiny little drop into our human minds. And not just our minds, but to the mind of creation. Um, so he's separating her to him. The same it says that 
Now, now here's the thing, but who stimulates? Who stimulates this this ring? Who stimulates, as we said earlier, in order to give the ring, to give the little bit of water, he has to kind of concentrate and restrain himself from his infinity to find something small to give her. Like I said earlier, like the big scientist going into the kindergarten to teach the little children. It needs a stimulation. Who stimulates God to do that? That's our self-restraint. So we're the stimulator. That's why man plays a pivotal role in this cosmic marriage between Chachma and Malchut, between the, 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 the higher Torah and the lower Torah. Man creates between the masculine Torah and the feminine Torah, the human being and our struggles and our overcoming and our passion to God and our love to God to the point that it overrides everything else. That's what creates that, that fiery movement. It's a fiery moment to be able to give her that, that, that element. And that's the meaning of the verse. These are the mitzvot that man should do and he should live in them. The verse, simply it means, as a result of doing the mitzvahs, you will live. It will give you a healthy life, good life, the deeper meaning. You do the mitzvahs. That's talking about practical observance. That's not the written Torah. Because the written Torah, you don't know how to do a mitzvah. We discussed earlier. You know vaguely the concept. To do a mitzvah, it's only as it is described in the code of law. In the Mishnah, in the Talmud. That's how you do it. And then, you do, that's the instructions. And then you actually do it. But here's the thing, when we're doing the mitzvah, it's not just enough that we follow the instructions and do the mitzvahs, but we also have to draw the energy of the infinite down into the mitzvah, into the oral. And how do we, into the oral law. And how do we do that? That's the meaning of v'chai bahem. We bring life into it. We cause the flow of the infinite into the laws of the Torah. We draw life down to the to the oral Torah, which is the attribute of kingship, which is the crown, which is the bride. We elevate her and plug her into her husband, the Torah to the written Torah, which is called is called holy, and that's the meaning of kedushin. We're drawing a little bit of Kodesh, Kiddushin. Malchus is not considered Kodesh. Malchus is called Shekhinah. It's not removed from the world. Malchus is the life force of the world. Kodesh means what is removed. Removed is Chachma. Chachma is touching, we said before, is the other end of the Sephiroth. Chachma is touching the infinite light. It's utterly removed from time and space, from the finite finitude of creation. And but we're taking a drop of that infinity, a drop of that boundlessness, and drawing it down to her. That's Kedushin, bringing a little bit Kodesh down into Malchus. That's V'chai Behem. Kodesh which is the higher Chachma. And this is the meaning that she is betrothed. The oral Torah, the oral Torah that is called the bride, she is betrothed and she is um, sanctioned and and uh, married, so to speak, to the written Torah, which is what? The supernal wisdom. 
which he is the groom. As we said earlier, but how does how does groom and bride how are they established? By him giving her the ring, which is this limited amount of life that he's giving to her. To her, it's enormous. To her, it's the, the two and a half million interpretations of area. To her, it's enormous. To him, it's just a tiny little ring. This is similar to the betrothal. The chosen gives, the groom gives the bride the ring. Now, so who, so, so it's really two dynamics within the divine. Who is the chosen and who is the kala? Torah Shebeksav and Torah Shebapet, two dynamics in Torah, two dynamics in the divine. But who's facilitating it? The facilitator is us. And because we're the facilitators who activate this communication of him to her, it's as if we're the groom. We're the one giving the ring. We're just channeling it, but but let me ask you. When the groom is walking to the chuppah to go and give his wife the 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 ring which he will give her, he's obviously making a mental decision to do so. But he's not going to the chuppah unless his feet take him there. So the feet are part of the groom. And they play a very, very important role over here because they brought him to the chuppah. They brought him to the to this to meet her to give her the ring. And so it's not like we're just facilitators. We're God's feet bringing him down to give the ring. So that's the meaning that we're part of the groom. It's not just some external fact. We're not the shatchen. Shatchen is the matchmaker. It's not the shatchen. It's actually the groom himself. It's the feet of the groom, which are the souls of Israel that stimulate this descent. Since Israel are the ones who draw down this betrothal ring. Okay. That's why they're called um, the groom to the oral law, which is called bride. So he says in Siv Gimel, however, all of this, all of this is only betrothal. It's only, as we said earlier, the two and a half million interpretations that we haven't even begun to open up the letters, we, the book is completely closed. It's an external ray. It's a limey, tiny little bit of water that spills over. But every the cup is still full. Because even after all, even with Kabbalah, that's the whole crazy thing. Even with the secrets of Arizal and Kabbalah and all that, it's mysticism. So it's six, after you study the 600,000 interpretations of Kabbalistic meaning in every verse, you haven't even started yet because you didn't even start analyzing the letters. We haven't even started analyzing the crowns. Forget about it, and the and the and the and the and the and the, uh, the nekudot and and the ta'amim, the trap, the song. We are we we're, we're. So when is it going to be a full fledged marriage? When he is going to give her his entire self? That means when she's going to experience the letters, the nekuda. She's going to open up the infinite depth. And all of that is going to come pouring into the Shekhinah and via the Shekhinah into our human consciousness, which means Torah is going to exponentially explode its, its knowledge, its wisdom. That's why we say that the Torah that people learn today, the Midrash says, is considered foolish compared to the Torah that we're going to learn when Mashiach comes. 
It's amateur of amateur. It's childish learning. Not just childish. Child is a child. You can stand in a little level and you get, there's nothing to talk about. So that's going to be mainly when Mashiach comes. However, on some level, it happens now as well. Meaning, not in a revealed, manifest level, but on some level, as we're going to learn now, it happens now. That means, what does that mean? All of this is the Torah's, what he discussed till now, is the way things are based on evolution. The way God, just like there's a process of divine evolution in creation, there is a process of divine evolution of Torah. But here it is, we get deeper. As a result of us, just like, we, and, and, and as we say, we play a pivotal role in this evolution. But then there is another element in which we which we come, which we have impact on, on a level that we bring about not just the betrothal, but we actually create the marriage as well and the intimacy as well. And when does that happen? Shmini Atzeres. On the eighth day of Sukkot, that's when the intimacy takes place between the Torah Shabbat and the Torah Shabbat. Between Chachman and Malchut. The infusion of energy that comes on Shmini Atzeres on the eighth day of Sukkot is just not normal. It's just, it's, it's exponentially higher than any other type of infusion of life. However, we all know one thing. Between a chup, between a betrothal and an intimacy, you got to first, there's one stage in the middle. And that is a chuppah. So let's understand something. In our marriages today, we do everything in one shot. Obviously not the intimacy, but the, the giving of the chuppah, the, the, the giving of the ring, which is the betrothal. And then the, the, the chuppah, which is going under the canopy and making the seven blessings and all of that, is all done together. But it used to be, as I discussed in the previous class, they used to do the betrothal. And the husband and wife would become technically husband and wife. She would go back to live with her parents. And the wedding would be called to a certain date. They would maybe three months, six months, a year sometimes. And then they would make the big wedding seminar ceremony. There wouldn't be any more a betrothal because they're already married. They would go under the chuppah. They would complete the marriage. And then they would go home together and live happily ever after. The chuppah. Now we need to explain over here. What's this chuppah? What's going on with the chuppah? They're both standing under one thing. So what does that mean? Because here's the thing, in order to advance the relationship from the external influence that he gives her, which is only an external little ray of himself, so that he can open up to her and give him, give her his, his entire essence, pour his entire inner light into her, she couldn't receive it. First of all, he needs motivation to do that. Secondly, she, would, she needs an, a major uplift to be able to receive that. The difference between him and her on the spiritual dynamics of things, especially when we're talking about God and us, is infinite. It's like the difference between the earth to the heavens. The earth, talk about planet earth, a tiny little, it, it's enormous, the earth. But if you compare the earth to the entire sky, what is it? It's not even a speck, a speck, a speck, a speck on the radar. If you take the entire sky, so the Torah Shabbat is this entire infinite wisdom 
Torah Shabbat Peh is like the planet, is like Earth. So how to make that marriage? So here's the idea. And this is such a super idea. As long as he is ginormous and she's tiny, and you highlight the difference between them, there is no way him and her are getting married. I mean, they, a ring is okay, but anything more than that ain't happening. The only way is to reach a point where he and her are equal, and then they can later, he can, in other words, from the perspective that he's, he's enormous and she's tiny, there's no way. But when both of them face the, a deeper, 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 boundlessly and infinitely higher, 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 higher being, which takes, which is so high, so extraordinarily great that it causes the the it causes the difference between him and her to pale in comparison to the difference that both of them have in front of this infinite being. So what's 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 the what's the difference that there is between the written Torah and the and the and the oral Torah? The written Torah is God's wisdom. The oral Torah is the wisdom as it applies to finite, to time and space, to creation. And you can't compare it. This is finite and this is infinite. There's no way. As long as the, the differences is highlighted, however, God himself transcends divine intelligence. Because intelligence is intelligence. What's Chachm? Chachma, we said, is the first sephira, the first attribute that's receiving from the Ein Sof. But it's only a recipient of the Ein Sof. Intelligence is only a drop of a drop of, the, of God's infinity that transcends intelligence. And more than that, the entire range of Chachma is called Chachma is like created something from nothing. The entire intelligence is considered something because you're already defining already somethingness. It's already a divine idea compared to the infinite, boundless, beyond idea God, so to speak. Beyond even intelligent God. To whom the entire range of intelligence is considered like a physical action. When he himself makes himself appear, the or in self, the infinite himself, emerges from the concealment into revelation, suddenly this million foot, billion foot man and this, uh, you know, uh, uh, five and a half or five foot woman are equal in height. And that's the idea that both of them go under the chuppah. What the chuppah does, it's the equalizer it equalizes him and her. He might be big and she's small, but when they're under the chuppah, which is something boundlessly above them, now he and her are actually equal. Once he's equal to her, he can share everything that he has to her because the difference that separated, the vast boundless difference that separated him from her has now disappeared because they faced something that nullifies them both completely. So he's going to explain that there are times that 
the that the truth, the or in self, the infinite itself, makes itself appear from here. Now, generally, the in self is hidden, hidden, hidden. Even the chachma is hidden. Let alone God's self beyond chachma is in, un, un, imperceivable. Yet there are times which is associated with the time of joy. What does joy do? When a person is happy, generally, you see, God created us in his image, and everything we have, these experiences, are derived from truths that are deeper. When people are happy, they become more outgoing. They reveal themselves. Joy causes you to come out, come out of your shell, so to speak. So on the three holidays, that's the time when Hashem appears. Hashem himself, not the Chachma, not God's wisdom. God's very self appears. That creates the Chuppah. That equalizes Chachma and Malchus. And that's why by every, <laughs> every Yom Tov, we say, Vahasi Eno. You say, you know, like you say this in all, all every Yom Tov in the Shemona Esrei liturgy and the, the Nusach. We say, "Vahasiyenu." Simply means you should load upon us, load us up with the, with all the Vahasiyenu Hashem Lekenu as Birkas Moadecha. Simply, it means um, load upon us your bracha, the blessings of your holidays. The Dipimini, Vahasiyenu, marry us, lead us under the Chuppah. Nesuyin, the, the next stage of marriage is called Nesuyin. Kedushin is the, is the deposit. The full fusion is called Nesuyin. But where does the Nesuyin happen? The Nesuyin is not yet, not yet the intimacy. They become Nesuyin. They become a full-fledged married couple, which could lead to their intimacy when they're under the chuppah. And when does the chuppah happen on the holidays? Since the holidays is the time of Zman Simcha Senu, it's the time of joy, my Adam Simcha, it causes the lights, the truths of Hashem to be revealed higher than all the spherot, so much so that it equalizes the highest sphera and the lowest sphera. The, the, the male and female of the divine become absolutely equal. It humbles him to the point that he can be totally one with her. This is wild stuff. But on all three holidays, I'm explaining everything that he said, everything, just a little, so that we can read it quickly. But all of this happens on the three pilgrimage holidays. And that's why they're called regalim. Regalim means because the feet are equal to the head. Why is it called regalim? Regal means feet. Why? The weird. Now you call them regal because it's a mitzvah for you to go with your feet to the base Amigdash, but you couldn't find a nicer word for it to call the holidays feet. The answer is the whole point is that the head and feet are now equal because the malchus is called feet. The feet are now at the same level like the head because for what is revealed in the in the temple on the holiday is something so high that it equalizes the feet and the head. It equalizes Chachmen Malchus. It equalizes male and female. It equalizes the Torah Shabal Peh with the Torah Shabal But it's not yet the transmission. It's not yet the unity. It's not yet the actual giving over of him giving his essence to her. It's only what? The preparation, what enables it. 
three holidays. When does the actual unity happen? Only on the after all three holidays, when we reach the end of the third holiday, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, Shemini Atzeres, that's when the fusion takes place. That's when the marriage takes place. That's the culmination of it all. And then the oral Torah has now become infinitely enriched. And that's why it's Mashiach. Shemini Atzeres and Torah is already Messianic times. The revelations of the future. We're going to see later in the Mimer. That's why we pray for rain then. The rain on the spiritual level is not rain. It's actual the transmission of husband to wife. It's the it's the procreative energies, which is his essence. Because when a person is, is having an intimacy and he's giving the, the he's giving of his essence to her, that's the rain. It's the very, very essence of the Ain Self that's transmitted to us. It's wild stuff. All of this, he says, till now is only the erison, the betrothal. is only external. which is the the groom. which is the written Torah. gives energy to the bride. which is the oral Torah. he gives her just external. In order for the from the chasen should give to the kala from his innermost tirish of of the he should open up to her his true self. For this, they first need to get to the next stage of marriage, which is the nesuyim. After the betrothal comes the nesuyim. What is nesuyim? That's the concept of the canopy. That's the chupa. The, the groom and the bride, both of them stand under the canopy, under the chuppah. And the chuppah encircles both of them equally. That's what we say by the prayers of Yomtev. Lead us into the chuppah. Make her a, marry us into the this should be the nesuyin, the complete marriage. To the chasen and the kala. Because we explained earlier, the Torah which is malchus which is called bride. the erisin, she gets a little deposit. she receives a little external ray from the. Supernal wisdom, which is the written Torah, which is called groom, which is the relationship of Shamayim and Aretz. Malchus is called Aretz. Here he doesn't emphasize that Malchus is called Aretz, but he's emphasizing more that that the Chasen, the groom, is called Shamayim. Why Shamayim? Shamayim over there is water. Over there is the ocean of water, the infinite. The Yam, the ocean of Chachma. However, as great as Shamayim is, Shamayim is not God. Shamayim and Aretz, these are parts of. So there is there is the physical Shamayim and the Aretz, and then there is the sphere, the sphere, the concept of Shamayim and Aretz, heaven and earth, as they are in the spherot, as they are in the divine. It's divinity, it's divine manifestations, but it's not God Himself. When God Himself is revealed, His heaven and His earth are both equal. That's the chuppah. 
It's when it's revealed what is above and so who's going under the chuppah? Heaven and earth. <laughs> That's really what's taking place. It's a chuppah for heaven and earth. So heaven and earth can completely get married. They go under the chuppah of the creator of heaven and earth, which is Hashem himself. There is above, above Chachma, and that is called what is hidden from all, from all hidden. It's hidden, hidden, hidden. It's called that Hashem shrouds himself in darkness. That means it's so hidden. Chachma is already called light. Torah or Torah is light. That's already revelation. It's it's already ideas. It's already intelligence. It's something. It's revelation. But beyond that is mystery. It's concealed. It's hardly hidden. Ad, it is so high. Chachma is the entire Chachma. The entire Chachma is called only a tiny little ray. The It's considered a physical action. To the hidden of all hidden, the entire Chachma is considered nothing. Everything he made with Chachma, which also implies that Chachma itself, wisdom, is considered an action. The Sham, and on that lofty, lofty, lofty high place, the supernal wisdom, which is the groom, and Malchus, who is the bride, both of them are absolutely equal. Even Chachma is considered like a physical action. And that is the reason why this is called the canopy, the Chuppah. Just like a Chuppah encompasses and surrounds the Chassan and the Kala equally. The same is also notwithstanding the fact that he might be six feet tall and she might be four and a half feet tall. But when they're standing on the Chuppah, they're both encompassed equally by the Chuppah. So too, uh, the level of Hashem, not the level, Hashem himself was concealed from all concealments. And now, is encompassing on Chachma, on the supernal Chachma, supernal wisdom, Malchus, and the and the attribute of kingship, equally. You bring us to the state of Nesuyan, of completion of marriage, which is the Nesuyan and the completion of the marriage to the Chassan and the Kala, after their betrothal, the Kala, the bride, is elevated to the Chassan. Oh, at the betrothal time, the Kala gets connected to him. He gives, but only an external light. But by just giving her an external line, he already light, he already uplifted her immeasurably. But there's still a vast difference between him and her. So much so that all he can give her was a little ring. Afterwards, Miss Alim Shneem, after she is uplifted to him, then both of them together get into the elevator. Together. They're elevated to a level that equally transcends them both to the Chuppah. Now, when does this happen? When does this chuppah reveal? 
every one of the three pilgrimage holidays is the time of the Chumb. And that's why we say, why do we need three of them? We'll see soon. And that's why we say by the on the holidays, on the three pilgrimage holidays. The man simchaseinu, it's the time of our joy. simcha, because it's the time of joy. It's through the revelation of the concealed of all concealments that's revealed. Which to it, up and down, high and lower, literally equal. Who can marshal? What does it have to do with joy? So he explains what causes this to reveal itself. How do you bring out the chuppah? You walk on the street, you don't see chuppah. There's a certain wedding car. Oh, it's a wedding. Oh, you put out the canopy. So, what rolls out the canopy? Meaning, what brings this lofty level of God to a level of visibility? Joy. Because joy causes hidden things to be revealed. And even the most hidden, because of joy, comes out. And this is by way of analogy of the joy of the king. At the time of joy, the king goes out. We were learning, we just learned this in the Maimah. We learned be right before um, Rosh Hashanah, the last Maimah we were learning before Rosh Hashanah was the whole idea of uh, what was the Sois Asis Bashem. We will bring joy to God. We were learning how to bring God out. You need joy. Joy makes him reveal himself. That's the whole idea. Because at a time of joy, from the concealed to the revealed. And he reveals, and he lowers himself down to all the ministers and his servants. Equally, in other words, the whole system that there is in a in a king in a, in, a, in a whole hierarchy, where you can walk in, you can't, you're this. Everybody has their position. Is on the ordinary times when the king is gets like really, really, really happy, and he lets us lets himself down. Then suddenly he treats everybody equally. Suddenly there is no you, and there's like a certain moment of like complete equalization between everybody. which is the chupa. This is the time of joy. And this is the meaning. Marry us off right now, we're saying to God. Like you wanted. What do we emphasize? Will. Because will is keter. Will is associated already with the more truer hidden element of god associated with will because will wisdom is already intelligence is already a specific power within a person will is still is considered you yourself so we're saying that since it's a time of will when your will is revealed and what's the idea of like you've willed and said because we know keter which is higher infinitely higher than chachma which is the chuppah keser is the chuppah um, Kesser is reveals itself more in Malchus based on the rule that not the beginning is wedged in the end. So you spoke the supernal will which is the mark. Since the end of deed is rooted in the beginning of thought, not on the beginning and the end are wedged together. 
You spoke. On Yom Tiv is the time that the will of God comes into a state of verbalization. It comes into a state of revelation. Verbalizing means to reveal. It comes into a state of revelation. What, what did you want? You want to bless us. What is the blessing? Blessing means always more revelation. What does it mean, more revelation? To increase the flow of the masculine light to, not just to increase, to exponentially increase the flow of the relationship between heaven and earth. That he should open, that the heaven, the chasm should open up to Kala all, all of his treasures, all of his self. For him to do that, is Ratzisa, you wanted Vamarta, you said Levarchenu to bless us with added light. And you give that power. Who gives the power? You that you that transcend even the divine groom, infinitely transcend the divine groom. You give the power for this blessing to take place, for this added infusion to take place. Canal, and that is as Bir Kasmayadecha, the blessings of your holiday. In all the three regalim, in all the three pilgrimage holidays, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, we say Vahasiyenu, which means we go under the chuppah. And Sukkot, you can see we go under the chuppah because we actually go under a sukkah. But it's really true about all the holidays. We also say about all the holidays, we refer to them as Zaman Simchaseinu. Now, the truth is only Sukkot we call Zaman Simchaseinu. But we say about all the holidays, Mo'adim Simcha, that all the holidays are are the holidays for joy. It's interesting that he says, Zaman Simchaseinu. Zaman Simchaseinu, we actually only say about Sukkot, but because every holiday is a time of revelation. And what is revealed, the one who is concealed from all concealments is revealed on the holiday. And that's why all the holidays are called regalim. That even the feet, which is the lowest level. Generally, it's called Malchus, it's called the feet. Go up and become equal to the head. Because we're dealing with a level so high that head and feet are both equal. Up and down, high and low are equal. And why do we have then three regalim? It's divided into three holidays. Because the general channel of the divine is right, left, and center. So in order that this should take place on all aspects, that the malchut, the lowest and the highest should meet. But how should they meet? There is the connection on the right side, there's the connection from the left side, and there's the connection from the middle. Which bring about the lowest and the highest meeting on Yom Tif. And that's why there's three, and uh, Pesach is on the right side, Avram Avinu. Uh, Shavuot is on the left side, Yitzchak, and Sukkot is in the middle, Yaakov. Now, when he says Torah, he starts with the last. Torah is the middle, Avoda is the left, and Gemilus Chasadim is right. Torah is the middle, which goes from one end to the other end. Okay. Now, the chuppah happens by all the shalosh regalim, by all the three pilgrimage holidays. 
What does Chassan Akala do after they finish? After they finish the chuppah and after the festivities, the wedding, they go home together, and then they have their own. They have the intimacy, which was the purpose of it all. Shmini is the actual, the last holiday of Sukkot. Shmini Yatzeres is the time of this yichud, of this intimacy of bride and groom. That's after the chuppah. That's when the chassan is actually giving the bride, not a ring. He's giving his inner substance. That's why he creates a child through that, who is a carbon copy of himself. That means he gave him his everything. He gave it. He gives her. I'm sorry. He gives her his entire self. He gives from his essence. Same is also above. After the chasen and the kala, which is the Torah shabiksav, the written Torah and the and the oral Torah, shneim oilim, both of them ascend. To the hidden of all hidden, which happens by all three holidays. They go under the chuppah. That's revealed upon them, which equalizes him and her. Then the Torah Shabiksav can transmit to Torah Torah the written Torah, the groom, the masculine Torah, can give the Torah to the oral Torah, which is the Malchus element of Atzilus, can give his essence. It means he can open up his entire secrets to her. And then, once it's delivered, this incredible godly infusion, is delivered from Chachma, from the male to Malchus, into the womb of Malchus, into the Shekhinah, Malchus then shares it with all of her children, which means all of the souls that are here in the world, down here, even in the physical world of time and space, enclosed in bodies. What does that mean? That after Shemini Yatzeris, you can have, you can start, that's where we start learning the Torah all over again. But now, don't just seek the two, two and a half million interpretations. Go deep, go recognize that now you're already receiving higher, receiving, you're opening up the letters itself. The obviously, you know, like infusions like the Alter Rebbe, like people who after Simchas Torah, when they learned the Torah, they transcended all these 600,000 interpretations that they went into the essence. And that's really what Hasidus is. Hasidus is the essence higher than the four. Hasidus is number five. It's the it's it's the lights of the Ain Sof that is higher than these four interpretations of Pshat, Rem, as Drush, and Said, as we discussed. From Malchus, because Malchus is the source of Bria, Tzir, and Asir, the three lower worlds. It can reveal itself below. In every single Jew, but you have to be a constituent of Malchus. Because Malchus received it. So if you belong to Malchus, how do you belong to Malchus? You're part of God's kingdom. How do you bother the king? You accept God as your king. That means obedience, obedience to the Torah. In other words, one can't say I want all the spiritual light, but then I still violate the Torah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I'm, if I'm not subservient to God and I'm not accepting the yoke of heaven, so what am I doing here? I'm a part of his wife. You have to be, you have to be in the feminine zone. The feminine zone is God's kingship which to God means he's king, to us means we're his subjects. 
But when we do that, we tune into this Wi-Fi, and then we receive what the Shekhinah received. Through this that we accept upon ourselves the yoke of heaven. And we draw down this level. What is that deeper meaning of that? Now we're going to go back to, by the way, we're finishing. We're not going to learn Dalit because Dalit is in the parentheses. For that, I didn't prepare it yet. And it needs a whole new understanding. And we're going to do that when we move on next week to the commentary. I'm just saying this now. The last point that we're going to make is, remember we spoke earlier. That again, the system over here works as follows. First, you have to be betrothed. Can't go to the chuppah if you never receive the ring. Now, in order for the betrothal to happen, we discussed earlier, he has to lower and pour a little bit of water. Now, that requires tremendous self-restraint. The self-restraint comes through the fire. Who produces the fire? Let's trace it all back. Who produces the fire? We produce the fire. How do we produce the fire? Through activating our own fire. What's the ultimate activation of our own fire that we cancel all other desire? Now, what happens if we're not on the level that we canceled all other desire? What happens if you're still full of other desire? You then cancel all other desire. So you never activated the betrothal. If you never activated the betrothal, how do you expect on getting the chuppah? And how do you, so you're not even, not even starting. So that's why he's explaining, no. Even if you haven't maxed out on the level of canceling all other fire. However, you do, you do at least accomplish that when there is a conflict between God's will and your will, you overcome your will and do God's will. It's not like you're in a state where you have no other desire. You become like God's feet. Remember we discussed earlier, where you've lost all desire of anything else. You're so consumed with your love for God that you burnt out every other desire. You become like a child. No. Even if you're still like a servant, what did we say as a servant? The servant is someone who's filled with other desires. But bottom line is, when your master calls you, you need a low listen. You need to go. You have to show up for the job. As long as you're doing that, you're still you're still in the program. That's what he's saying, and that's the meaning of the verse that, Mo, that Moshe is going to say over here. Torah alano What does that mean? Even if someone is not on this high level of being a child. Who has cancelled all of his will? Betachlis. Shein loyratzenacher has reached this level that he has no burnt out all other desire. Klal. Raku bebchenas eved. But rather, the person is still in a state of servitude. What does that mean? Shubchenas kabolas oil. The person is in a state of kabolas oil, accepting the yoke. Accepting the yoke meaning bebchenas surmerab. But in literal sense, if I have a temptation to do a sin, I don't do it. I fight it. And when I'm not in the mood of doing something good, I overcome my laziness and tiredness or whatever, and I go ahead and I do it. So when I, Meaning even if there's no internal cleansing of all fire, but there's just practical observance, they too can activate the betrothal, and as a result of being betrothed, you can enter into the chuppah eventually and into the ultimate intimacy with God. The zehu, and this is the meaning of, and where is this idea hinted to? That even those that are at least on the fringe of bittel also works. That's the idea. What is the meaning of the? That's hinted to in this verse. Torah tzivalanu Moshe means as follows. Torah, the entire Torah. Which Torah? The masculine Torah. Torah is the safer Torah. 
the masculine Torah, but not the external part of it. The entire Torah, Tzivalanu Moshe, Moshe connected us. Moshe enabled every single one of us to be the to receive the download, not just of the divine ring, but the divine essence of the intimacy that happens on Shmini Yatzeres. Moshe gave the ability to every Jew to get that. He'll say, hold it. How, how does a regular Mela Tzadik, we can understand great Tzadik and great righteous saintly people who canceled all other will, okay. And the answer is, it's an inheritance. To who is it inheritance? To the congregation of Jacob. Yaakov. Yaakov comes from the word heal. Remember we discussed earlier that when we do God's will, we're God's leg. When we reach a level of canceling all will, all of our wants, and we become an extension of God, we become his leg. But that's the leg. But then beneath the leg is the heels. The heels are people that are holding on to, to surrender, even though there's so much struggle there. There's so much. It's like the those that are, you're, 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 you're not canceled. You're full of other desire, full of other wants, but you're still bending to, to whatever degree. You're bending a little. You're bending your ego, your wants for God's will to a certain degree. So then you're the heel. You're lower than the feet. Now, even though based on their own merits, they don't deserve it because you need that fire that, to cause God to cancel his infinity, you have to cancel your other fires that you have or your other waters that want to go in all directions and cancel it. But however, he says, since it's an inheritance, what does an inheritance mean? Inheritance means you get something that you didn't work for. The person gets an inheritance, you didn't work for it. You got it. Why? Because your father did the work for you already. Your father came off the boat. And he came to the shores, had nothing, worked in a, in a sweater shop. Then suddenly, whatever, then he went out and he built this massive business and he became a big entrepreneur, a big businessman and everything. And then the young spoiled son inherits the father dies. The young spoiled gets the entire Russia, even though he hasn't worked one hard day, one day, one day in his life. Inheritance. So the point is that Certain things have already been established, as he explains over here. Means an inheritance. A person that inherits his father. He has not toiled and has not and has not um, exerted himself. He gets it automatically. The father had already prepared it. The same is also in Shmini Yatzeres. Once the chasen, the divine chasen, the divine groom, the Torah Shabbat the masculine Torah, transmits the energy because of the few Jews that are tzaddikim, because of the feet Jews that are feet, not heels. And they cause already that the Torah Shabbat should transmit to the Torah Shabbat it becomes already an inheritance for every single Jew. My Rasha kills. They did the hard work, but it's already drawn down into our father, meaning our father, in our case, it's our mother, the Shekhinah. She received it already. And now it's already available to everybody. It's an inheritance for everybody. Who? But you have to have bare minimum. What's the bare minimum? You have to belong to her. How do you belong to her? You do have to accept upon yourself to the best that you can to accept the heavenly kingdom. 
Even though you're not a son, you're still a servant. Why? How do you get it? The download has already been triggered. Once it was triggered already by the by those that are in a level of, of feet, I'm sorry, of, of feet, not, not heels, those that are, are, are in the level of child, not servant, they already establish it for everyone. And that's the emphasis, Kihilas Yaakov to the to the to the congregation of Yaakov. Sheboha Shefa, the influence goes down, 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 even to the hills. Which is the servant. Originally, it's only drawn into Israel. Israel is a higher level. Jews are called by two names, Yisrael and Yaakov. Yisrael is called Ben, child, and Yaakov, because in it is the word Lirosh, to me, the head. Yaakov is a Kvayim, heals. And yet, even though in the beginning it goes only to Yisrael, which are the Tzadikim, which are the really holy Jews, then it extends even to the one who is a servant, which is Yaakov. And this is the meaning of Atzeres Tielochem. You will absorb atzeres. Yom Hashmini on the eighth day atzeres. You'll take it all in. Shenimshach lochem davka. It's drawn completely into you. It's the internalization of all this vast, endless, boundless, infinite light is drawn in, and everybody, even the even the heel souls. But here's the beautiful thing. He says first it goes to Israel, which are the tzaddikim, and then it goes to Yaakov. When? It's transmitted. The intimacy takes place in the souls of the tzaddikim. Simchas Torah is the second day. That's Simchas Torah. We know it's the holiday that's only in the in Chutzliyaritz. That's when the joy reaches, and that's when it reaches Kihilas Yaakov. And that's why we're all dancing with our feet, with our heels. That's when it gets down, 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 down to the bottom to every single Jew. And at that moment, there's no differences between the highest Jews who are canceled all will and the people who only walk into Shul Simchas Torah for a nice little swig and a little l'chaim and they go off for a dance and they dance to our coffers, they're absolutely equal because the divine light hits everybody equally. The Zeu Simchas Torah, that's Simchas Torah. Shekulam him besimcha. Everybody is besimcha. Everybody's joy now. Mishu b'chinas eved levad. Those that are still struggling and therefore they're like just a, a, a servant who might not be in the mood always of doing the will of the master, but does it anyways. Um, uh, but he says, But then he has everybody said, and he adds even more. Shubhana said, Levad This is really cool. The joy that's by the person who's a servant who knows he doesn't deserve it. And the fact that he's given access to it, actually by him, it's even a much greater joy. It's Sadiqim, okay. But the, those who like get access to something that is so forbidden, and yet they get it anyways, it's like, wow. And the joy is even greater by them. Okay. The difference of Shmini Atzeres and Chastor and all of this, Bezrat Hashem was still going to learn. So it's supposed to take a long Shmini Atzeres Hazem Torah for the whole year. And we're going to be learning still about it for a while. So we're going to extend Shmini Atzeres Hazem Torah 
for at least another two weeks so that we can finish. Um, anyways, on the, the Maimarim on Bereshis, we finished already in Torah R and we finished. We didn't even start as we learned now, but <laughs> the written word that we learned, we learned already. So we have another two, another two weeks to spend. Next week, we're going to learn the commentator, the commentary, I mean, on this discourse. The Maimar, the Alter Rebbe said after Sukkot to explain the Maimar that he said on Sukkot. Okay, with this we conclude today's class.